Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Worship This Week. I am John Strickland, the worship pastor at Tabernacle Baptist Church in New Bern, North Carolina. And this podcast exists to equip and prepare worshipers at Tabernacle. This week we're going to talk about some practical ways to prepare for worship. Uh, What are some practical steps that we can take each week to help us get the most out of our experience in corporate worship? Last week we talked about spiritual preparation. This is a little more theological, a little more spiritual. Uh, So this week we're talking about practical steps. What are some practical things that are easy for us to implement Uh, that would help us. I'm going to be drawing from a couple of articles by John Piper and Zach Hicks. I'll link both of those in the description. Uh, And so let's look at five ways that we can practically prepare for worship. First one comes from Piper, uh, and he says that we should fast from worldly entertainment on Saturday night. Uh, James 1.21 says, Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Uh, so this, this text kind of puts at odds the idea of worldly wickedness and filthiness against the humility that we need uh, to receive the word implanted. And if Sunday morning worship is primarily about encountering God in his word and the central act of our worship is hearing the word preached and taught, then we need to distance ourselves from the ways of the world to prepare ourselves to be in the right state of mind and the right spirit to receive the word that is able to save our souls. I'm not saying that this is an absolute law. I certainly don't follow this perfectly and consistently watching TV and other things on Saturdays, but I think it's a good word, and I think it's a good thing to at least attempt to implement in in your life on Saturday night. Think about turning off the TV, turning off the movies, uh, and preparing your mind and your heart uh, for what will happen on Sunday morning, which is supposed to be uh, distanced and separated from and above the things of this world that we often entertain ourselves with. I think it would also help us build that distinction between the things that we experience and do in our lives for entertainment and separating that from what happens on Sunday morning. I think too many of us see worship on Sunday morning as another means of entertainment. We come to sit and watch the show and enjoy what goes on and approve or disapprove based on our own level of enjoyment. Um, And that's not what worship is supposed to be. And so maybe if we built in this discipline of fasting from worldly entertainment on Saturday night, at least at the very end of the day, as we start gearing ourselves up to to rest and then go to church on Sunday, we would build some distance in between these ideas of entertainment and what worship is supposed to be for. So that's a good word uh, to to fast, to, to, to fast, to deprive ourselves of worldly entertainment on Saturdays in preparation for Sunday. It's a practical step. Now, the second thing is uh, also about Saturday night, and that is just get enough sleep on Saturday night. Get enough sleep on Saturday night so that we're arrested and alert to participate in worship and to hear and receive the word 
just as James 1 was saying a minute ago, in humility to receive the word implanted. Uh, we have to be awake and alert and able to do that uh, with enough rest. And so Piper again says, there are Saturday night ways that ruin Sunday morning worship. Uh, a lack of sleep uh, makes our minds dull. Uh, it can make our emotions flat, make us uh, more prone to depression. There's lots of other things that could be said about the importance of sleep and what happens, how it affects our bodies and our minds when we don't have enough sleep. Uh, but the bottom line here is that we should have a high enough view of corporate worship that it's not acceptable for us to be exhausted when we're there. We should have a high enough view of corporate worship that it's important for us to get enough rest, to be alert and ready to participate when we show up on Sunday morning, instead of dragging ourselves in like this is so optional that it doesn't matter if we're rested or just exhausted dragging ourselves in at the last minute uh, because we we didn't do anything on Saturday night to prepare for this. We didn't think about the importance of being rested when we're here. So one way that we can practically prepare ourselves for worship is just to get enough sleep. Uh, very simply, uh, start with the morning, what time you need to get up to, to eat breakfast or whatever morning routines you have, take care of the kids, uh, figure out what time it is you need to get up to do all that stuff and then be at church on time and then just back up from there eight hours. And that's when you need to start getting ready for bed and going to sleep so that we have plenty of rest. Um, seems simple, seems overly simple in some, maybe, to, maybe to some of you, but uh, very good advice. The third thing is that we can just arrive early. Uh, make sure that you arrive early to church. Give yourself time to take care of the kids and get them where they need to be. If they have to go to the nursery or they're going to, uh, to, to child care, Sunday school or whatever, uh, find a place to sit. Uh, get, just get in the room and find a place to, to, to sit down and be there for the service. Uh, and, and also a time to greet others. Uh, worship is, we've talked about before, vertical between uh, us and God, but then also horizontal. And so what better way to, to be ready for corporate worship that involves other people being there with us than taking the time to greet and talk to the folks that are going to be sitting next to us in that time of worship. Uh, if, you, if you're coming in late, uh, it's, it's hard to focus on what's going on. You've already missed part of the service. Everything that's planned in the service happens for a reason. If you miss the call to worship, um, then you've, by definition, you've missed out on a key element of what is happening in that service. Um, if you come in late, you're, you're, you're trying to settle yourself in and, uh, and missing out on whatever is continuing to happen while you're doing that. Uh, and then also you haven't had a chance to really express and experience that aspect, that horizontal aspect of being in worship with other people. Arriving early gives you an opportunity to do all those things, uh, to, to settle in, to prepare your mind, to to greet other people around you and then when the service begins you're ready to engage right away fourth uh, from from this time from the Zach Kicks article uh, he says make the most of those first moments uh, obviously if you if you're there early you won't miss the first moments and then when you're there don't uh, don't let the first moments pass by uh, and so Hicks says jump into the deep end uh, a lot of times we come to worship, we're not really mentally, emotionally ready to, to engage with God. Uh, we're bringing in baggage with us. There's things on our minds. We're anxious or distracted or, or concerned about something else that happened either, either throughout the week or even right before we came in. 
And there, there's a million things that can be on our minds and distracting us. And so he says, at the beginning of the service, you let those first few moments draw you in and away from whatever could distract you. You jump into the deep end. And he says, sometimes participating physically actually leads our affections to engage spiritually. And that's so true. If if I'm, if I'm not feeling like I'm ready to engage, I'm not feeling like I'm really ready to worship or to sing what I'm being asked to sing, um, if I just take that small step of getting over myself and, and getting over the way that I feel at that moment and just sing it anyway, just read that scripture and just focus on what, uh, what is happening in the service, a lot of times that small step of just doing it anyway will help our, our physical participation will help lead our spirit and our affections to then move in the right direction. Um, and so that's a great um, point of advice. And it reminds me of Alistair Begg. A, a great preacher has a clip that's floated around the internet. I've shared it several times uh, over the years on Facebook, but he's talking about uh, he, an illustration. He's talking about a church where he went and it was more of a contemporary, you know, cutting edge kind of church. And uh, he said there was the countdown and the band started playing right on the thing. And he said the worship leader's opening line was, hey, how do y'all feel this morning? And so Alistair Begg just goes off on what a silly way to begin a worship time is to, to ask people how they feel. It's like, of course I feel horrible. He's like, worship doesn't have anything to do with how I'm feeling. If it did, I would never worship because I'm always feeling like a sinful person uh, or, or like an overwhelmed person or any number of things that have to do with my feelings. Uh, he said, it doesn't matter how I feel. I come in. He's like, give me something that I can uh, respond to. Give me the truth uh, of God that I can latch onto, and then despite how I'm feeling, I can engage. And he quotes uh, the hymn, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Uh, to his feet thy tribute bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. And he says, now I have something to, to sing about. Now I've got something to worship about. Now I've got something I can respond to because you've reminded me of what God has done. You've reminded me of what the gospel is. Um, and, and I think that goes right along with what, what this advice is saying. Make the most of those first moments. Come in, uh, pay attention, listen, sing the words of that opening song, read the words of that opening call to worship, uh, even if you don't feel like it at that moment. And let the truth about who God is and what God has done for us, let it draw you in. Uh, let it lead your affections so that then uh, you're in a, in a better place to worship. That's how worship is designed. That's how it's meant uh, to work for you. So take advantage of that, of that design uh, of God's intention for that and uh, let that help you. Number five, uh, this is a back, back to the Piper article, and he just says, turn up your, turn up your dial for patience on Sunday morning. Um, he quotes Psalm 106, 25, uh, where it says that they grumbled in their tents and they did not listen to the voice of the Lord. He just makes the point of how easily it is, easy it is for grumbling and fighting, complaining uh, on Sunday morning to drown out uh, what we're supposed to be listening to, which is the voice of the Lord and His Word, and, and, and how that kind of thing can just ruin worship for an entire family uh, on Sunday morning. And so he says just on even more than usual, Make an extra effort to forbear with people on Sunday. That is to be slow to anger and quick to listen. Um, what great advice, because especially 
coming from a ministry standpoint, I know all, probably all pastors, but especially worship worship leaders, pastors, uh, we are stressed out on Sunday. We've got a lot of things to be responsible for, a lot of things that we're trying to make happen uh, from music rehearsals and technological issues and uh, any number of things. And uh, there's gonna be a lot of things that can just make us frustrated and, and make us short-tempered. Uh, and so uh, this is great, a great, great advice because for, I think for everybody, uh, something happens on the way to church, an argument happens with the kids or with the uh, husband or wife. Uh, and that, uh, you know, one conflict, one issue can distract us from the whole Sunday morning and just ruin that whole, that whole opportunity that we had for worship. And so if everybody just turns up their patience dial to 11 on Sundays and just, just overlooks offenses and forbears with each other and, and is slow to anger, uh, Piper's point is that most likely something in the service is going to humble you. Let the word of God point out the, the log in your eye. Uh, and so, and, and when you have refrained from pointing out the speck in someone else's eye, um, then the word of God might humble you to the point where a, a conflict isn't even necessary. So the thing that you could have blown up about before the service, uh, maybe the word of God that morning, maybe the spirit of God that morning just diffuses that entirely in you. Um, and, and so give that an opportunity uh, by being extra patient making an extra effort to forbear with your family and with others at the church uh, in your life uh, on Sundays. So uh, five great words of advice. Uh, fast from worldly entertainment on Saturday or Saturday night. Make sure you get enough sleep on Saturday night to be ready for Sunday morning. Again, I've said this before. A lot of people have said this over the over the years, famous people and not famous people, whoever, that Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. Get enough rest on Saturday night to be aware and alert on Sunday morning. Uh, make plans to get to church early. Give yourself time to be prepared when the service begins. Make the most of those first moments. Um, let participating physically lead your affections, lead your spirit into worship. And then just turn up your, turn up your patience on Sunday so that you can be prepared. Great words, great things to think about as we prepare for another week coming into church on Sunday morning. And uh, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. We'll be looking at our service at Tabernacle for Thanksgiving weekend, the weekend before Thanksgiving. So we'll be specifically kind of themed thinking about Thanksgiving coming up, uh, and that'll be on November 22nd. As we look at our service coming up on November 22nd, again, looking forward to Thanksgiving this week and preparing uh, for worship service that will be a little bit more thematically focused than maybe usual, but still focus on the gospel and the goodness of God, but singing some hymns that are maybe more geared toward our, this idea of Thanksgiving and uh, it's all it's all on our, all, all of our minds at this time of the year. Uh, and in our scriptures, again, focused on uh, the biblical basis for our, our gratefulness. And so we'll begin with our call to worship in Psalm 100. And I've preached on this psalm uh, a couple of times, and um, it's just a classic psalm, um, one of the most well-known hymns, uh, at least well-known hymn tunes um, that we sing. Uh, the doxology to you'd be familiar with that. The tune is called Old 100th, and the reason it's called Old 100th is because in the Genevan Psalter, um, the uh, the hymn written for to sing Psalm 100 uh, was sung to that tune, so it's called Old 100th, uh, the 100th Psalm. 
Uh, so just a, uh, especially from traditions uh, in, in church history that haven't sung all of the Psalms uh, as much as others. Uh, this is one of the few that, that we actually do and have sung a little bit more uh, than maybe others. Of course, the 23rd Psalm and 100th Psalm. Uh, but just a familiar psalm, and it obviously centers on thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So we're going to be entering to his courts with thanksgiving, uh, into his courts with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name. Of course, Pastor Scott's been preaching about this in Psalm 103 all month, uh, so that's a great, um, uh, great compliment there uh, to what he's been preaching about, uh, blessing the Lord, the reasons that we have to bless the Lord. So we're going to be singing this hymn, uh, For the Beauty of the Earth, um, and each verse starts with that phrase, for something, for the beauty of the earth, for the wonder of each hour, uh, for the joy of human love, brother, sister, parent, child, friends on earth and friends above, uh, for the church that evermore lifteth holy hands above, uh, for the joy of ear and eye, for the heart and mind's delight, um, uh, meaning art and beauty and music, uh, and then for thyself, best gift divine. Of course, culminating in that last verse, all of these things we sing, Lord of all, to thee we raise, this our hymn of grateful praise. And of course, uh, what I really want to focus on is that sixth verse, the last verse. That's really going to segue into what we're doing the rest of the service and then really help us center in on the, the grounding of what thanksgiving means to the Christian, what gratefulness means for thyself, best gift divine to our race so freely given. For that great, great love of thine, peace on earth and joy in heaven. Lord of all, to thee we raise. This is our hymn of grateful praise. Uh, the idea being uh, that um, most of all, the best gift that God has given us is not material, but it's himself. To our race so freely given, best gift divine. Uh, the best gift that we've been given is the gift of Christ, the gift of God himself. And uh, we, we're going to continue from that reading in Colossians chapter 3. And it says, uh, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The peace of Christ... Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Uh, the, the peace of Christ that we know is because of what God has done in the gospel. We've, we've been forgiven. We have peace with God. Peace on earth and joy in heaven. The great, great love of thine. And we're going to segue that into singing this simple chorus that's familiar to us. Uh, Don Moen, give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ a son. And then the next part of the chorus, uh, I love this because I think it's more profound than a lot of us know. A lot of times we, uh, we think of choruses as very simplistic or, uh, you know, outdated. Maybe this is one of those, you know, praise choruses in the 90s or, or 80s, 90s kind of era. 
And a lot of people, especially worship leaders like myself, we kind of, you know, sometimes dismiss some of these songs as just, oh, it's just overly simplistic. And, you know, we'd rather opt for hymns that are more theologically rich and, and wordy. Um, but I think this is more profound than, than, um, than maybe we would realize at first glance. It says, now let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Going back to the first section, because it said, because he's given Jesus Christ his son. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his son because of what the Lord has done. Uh, there's clearly a connection there. He's not saying, let the weak say I am strong because God has made us physically strong or he's given us some kind of physical victory over our enemies. And he's not saying, let the poor say I am rich because he's given us wealth or he's given us prosperity or material blessings. He's, he's connecting that idea of let the weak say I am strong and let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us in Christ, because he's given Jesus Christ his son. And so that's the theme that I really want us to, to that I want to come out from this service on Sunday is, is we're, we're kind of prone to uh, around Thanksgiving every year, and especially with our kids and, and even ourselves, people say, what are you thankful for? Think about what you're thankful for. And it's so easy to fall into, oh, I'm thankful for the things God has given me for, you know, my home and my job and, uh, you know, the things that I have and the, and the family that I have and the blessings that I have in my life. And yes, those are all good gifts from God. That is very true. Um, but let's not lose sight in, in, in a materialistic way. Let's not lose sight of the, the idea that gratefulness in the Bible and thankfulness of the believer is not grounded in material blessings. Uh, we're to be grateful and thankful to the highest level, even if we lose everything materially, uh, because we've been given everything we need in Christ. Let the poor say, I am rich. Not because the poor has suddenly become wealthy in earthly terms, but he, the, poor is, the poor man saying, I am rich, uh, because he knows Christ, because he's been given Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, and so I really, wanna, I really want that to come out. I really want us to focus on, on that and make sure that we're grounding our gratefulness in the gospel. Uh, and that's why I've preached about this before. Out of, that, out of Colossians chapter 3, I've, I've talked about uh, how gratefulness is the fuel of worship. Um, gratefulness is the is the hinge point between what we know about God and believing the gospel with our mind and acknowledging the truth about what God has done gratefulness is the affection of our heart that then motivates us out to respond to it so we can understand it but then our action our response to that needs to be driven by an affection by a feeling an emotional response that what wells up in our heart and that response is thankfulness. We see that all through um, the Bible, especially uh, relating to the gospel and, and what Christ has done, that we're, that our, our, our immediate reaction is just thankfulness and, and gratefulness for what the Lord has done. And that's what drives us and that's what fuels us to then respond uh, to obey the word and to want to grow in, in, in our maturity as believers and all those other things. Um, our, our obedience is driven by thankfulness, which is the affection that is in our hearts as a response to the gospel. And so I see all of that in both of those hymns uh, and in that in the scripture as we read that on Sunday. So, uh, And then finally, we take that again, take that further in our closing hymn, which is My Heart is Filled with Thankfulness, which is a Keith and Kristen Getty hymn, a really beautiful one, um, maybe one of their lesser known ones, but uh, nonetheless very, uh, very helpful for us to sing. 
My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain. It starts right there at the gospel. It starts right there with the death of Christ. Uh, he plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again. He crushed my curse of sinfulness and clothed me in his light and wrote his law of righteousness with power upon my heart. Um, and then it, the, the second verse uh, then moves on. Uh, so what Christ has done uh, in his death and resurrection and in the gospel to save us uh, from sin. And then the second verse, my heart is filled with thankfulness to him who walks beside, who floods my weaknesses with strength and causes fears to fly, whose every promise is enough for every step I take, sustaining me with arms of love, crowning me with grace. So we move from what Christ did for us on the cross and then what he's doing for us now, how he lives and walks with us as we are walking through this life as believers. Um, and then we shift our focus to heaven in the third verse. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who reigns above, whose wisdom is my perfect peace, whose every thought is love. For every day I have on earth is given by the king, so I will give my life, my all, to love and follow him. So that's our response. Uh, again, we see that um, what God has done, we understand it, we know, we believe the truth of what God did in Christ, what Christ did for us, crushing the curse of sinfulness, dying on the cross, clothing us with his righteousness, uh, and then what he's doing for us now as he walks with us through uh, difficulties of life, uh, and his promise sustains us, and he reigns on high above, and then what is our response to that? Because we're thankful, all of the things that he's done, we acknowledge them because we're grateful for those. We acknowledge that every day we have on this earth is given by him, and so therefore we owe it to give our life and our all uh, to him after that. It's a beautiful way of framing um, all those truths that I was just talking about and that I really want to come out in this service as we um, prepare for Thanksgiving and think about that particularly. And then finally we'll close in Hebrews, our benediction, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Again, uh, gratefulness. Let us uh, therefore be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, just a great word, I think, especially to everything that's going on in the world, uncertainty, elections, etc., etc., all of the craziness that's going on. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Um, what a timely reminder for us, um, even in the midst of turmoil and anxiety uh, that, that uh, any number of things that can drive us to despair right now happening in the world um, but our home base our grounding as believers is still a prevailing attitude of our spirits is still joy and gratefulness because we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken thank you so much for watching and listening uh, so glad to have this time each week uh, again as we equip and prepare as worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope to see you on Sunday morning. Have a great week.